Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Toby. We're the co-founders of Ask Us for Ideas, where we help the world's most ambitious businesses, large or small, to connect with a collection of the best and most exciting creative agencies from around the world. In this podcast, Private Views, we aim to shine a light on the dynamic between design talent and business leadership, exploring how some of today's most compelling brands are being built by meeting the folks from both sides of the equation. In this episode, we meet Ara Katz, co-CEO of Seed Health, a company at the nexus of consumer health, technology and research, whose first focus was on creating next-generation probiotics. Probably most impactfully, the microbiome is actually an area where Starting today, you can make decisions and choices, unlike your genome, um, that actually could impact the microbiome and impact your health outcomes. It is in part thanks to the challenging nature of introducing their product to market that such a strong brand was born. The need to simplify scientific language and cut through the swamps of misinformation in this leading edge of the health category meant that Seed had to very clearly express its mission, message and authority. Ara herself is not a first-time founder, having built a mobile e-commerce app called Spring that was acquired in 2018, as well as another healthcare startup, Luca Biologics, focused on the vaginal microbiome and founded in 2019. Alfie friend Max Luthi, co-founder of Plink, spoke to Ara over Zoom. Ara and Seed Health are based in Los Angeles. They discuss how to build awareness in a frontier field, our failure as a society in communication science, and how to maintain an ethical brand in the sometimes questionable world of influencer marketing. We're not like a traditional CPG company because we come from a more scientific approach. And so, you know, even at the time that we launched probiotics, we're still the fastest growing consumer health category in the world. And so, you know, I think there's like a few things that kind of triangulate with us. It's that... You know, we launched in a little bit of this kind of D2C kind of consumer tech world where you certainly see a lot of early adopters um, across like health and wellness and like kind of early techy stuff. Um, but really like the, the market for probiotics was already quite robust and a more mass perspective. And so, you know, we have always, always been kind of bifurcated by, I think, like the early adopter, people who are really looking for more proactive and preventive health measures who are generally healthy. And then, of course, at the other end of the spectrum, the people who really suffer um, from all kinds of, you know, mostly GI and digestive health related issues. And so while I think the things that end up being a lot more visible are not the sexier ones, <laughs> i.e., you know, the influencers and the people, you know, press and the people who kind of focus on like brands and and maybe a little bit more of the health and wellness space that can often feel as if you're then not reaching masses but actually you know in our case i think those just those cohorts are quieter um and as i said a little less like brand relevant and, and certainly less um less externally facing so if we are the children of the antibiotics generation as i believe um you know, you've referred to us before. Do you feel hopeful for the next generation? Do you feel like we've turned a corner or we're still on the downslope before that, you know, education really changes into sort of meaningful behavior change? Oh, I feel really hopeful. I don't, I don't, I mean, we don't look at it just in terms of probiotics. I look, we look at it in terms of also the awareness of the microbiome. Um, and most importantly, probably even more than probiotics, the awareness of how the choices that we make every day inform the shaping of and the function 
of our microbiome and then of course conversely its impact on on our health and so in a lot of ways these things kind of um they're like the dark matter i think that exists around this kind of shift in consciousness um that i actually find incredibly even if someone believes their pillowcase is a probiotic <laughs> pillowcase <laughs> or their home cleaning products are probiotics i almost don't know if it matters for the time being because i think sometimes things have to have this like you know it's kind of why friendster kind of had to exist before facebook um mm. and so i think that you know in a lot of ways it creates this consciousness it creates a um a notion that there's um another aspect or dimension or access to our health that needs to be considered and thought about um probably most impactfully the microbiome is actually an area where starting today you can make decisions and choices unlike unlike your genome um that actually could impact your health outcome impact the microbiome and impact your health outcomes and i think that's quite an unusual field of um biology and and you know um and human health and and not just human but also environmental health to kind of reveal uh so in a lot of ways i just find these things to be these little dots that are making up a much larger constellation that in time will reveal themselves to be something much bigger than people think they are uh today um and obviously that will happen alongside chronologically the advancements um and ultimately the interventions that will change the way we think about treating our ourselves both proactively and preventively but also for you know actual solutions to some of the biggest challenges facing our health very cool i you know some of what you've done in terms of authoring a children's book uh for example inspired me to actually bring up the microbiome to my eldest who's just turned 7 on the weekend and you know I'd never really considered discussing it with her i mean we talk a lot about what's healthy or uh, maybe we don't go into enough detail you know we say eat please eat more of that if you eat too much of that it's going to give you a stomach ache this is good for you um but just off the back of you know your children's book i thought you know i'm going to try and explain this and i'm sure i gave her some dodgy information and just immediately it started sort of she started repeating back to me using slightly different metaphors for example like and showing at least a, a really clear understanding of it and i thought wow probably <laughs> i probably need to have these kinds of conversations more often but can you speak to you know how you came to decide to write a children's book and i i know you've also taken seed into apparel drops for example and i'm kind of curious how what your process is in terms of prioritizing how and where to tell your story in 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 terms of the medium i mean you know we we love um you know there's a few things that we kind of talk about a lot internally i think the first is that we love this quote by mark uh, sir mark wilbert who is a uk advisor um scientific advisor uh who says that science is not finished until it's communicated and then there's of course people like marshall mcluhan who in the 70s wrote you know the medium is the message um and then of course there's this kind of internal tenet or mantra that we have which is meet them where they are and i think you know when you think about all three of those ideas and you kind of put them in a blender um i think we're always trying to figure out you know one of the things that has happened in the rise of alternative functional integrative medicine is this notion of other as if like you know eastern and western medicine couldn't you know ideals or frameworks couldn't exist or you know somehow like western medicine is all bad 
Um, and I think that th that kind of black and white thinking is really, is really, of course, really challenging because it, it also kind of denies so many of the important advancements that we have today, um, but also probably doesn't serve us in the end from a, from a health perspective. And I think when we think about communication, I think we feel that kind of what I was saying is like the dark matter that needs to be architected around some of these frontier fields requires you to find ways into people's lives that um, smell, sound, look different. Um, because I think the way, and I think we saw this so starkly with COVID and certainly see it with climate change on a daily, ba daily basis, the way that science communicates today doesn't work. Our house is on fire. I think we're at almost, you know, I don't know how many, we've surpassed five plus million, uh, you know, even more. I think there's eight, then the last number I saw was 18 <laughs> uh, at the highest level when you look at COVID. Um, and so we are just fundamentally unable at scale in public, in public, like in terms of like global public health to communicate the gravity of some of the issues that we face. Um, additionally, we're also at a place where we've never been able to consume as much differing information. And so when it comes to health, obviously there's, you know, no shortage of people telling you what to eat on Instagram and um, certainly no shortage of uh, people consulting Dr. Google on a daily basis. Um, and so our belief was if you could really meet people where they were, show up in different ways and make science really not trigger your, you know, sixth grade biology PTSD, but rather fundamentally be something that can be embraced and actually feel accessible and learned and able to be learned. The, the feeling was that, and our, our hope is that with foundational understanding of your body, particularly in, through our lens of the microbiome, that you would just feel more equipped and have agency over the, the way that you filter all that information that comes in on a daily basis, the way you ask questions, the way you um, engage in kind of optimistic skepticism, <laughs> the way that you uh, make a choice off a menu, the way that you uh, read a label, the way that you think about an, a post that's served up to you on Instagram. And so I think we really think about it very foundationally. Um, and we don't spend a lot of time talking about how great our product is. We spend a lot more time educating around microbes, the microbiome, and of course, a lot of the science that's happening and also all the lifestyle and choices and things that we know from research could genuinely impact your health um, from a microbiome perspective. And so that's really where it comes from. And, and also it's more fun. <laughs> it's more interesting. Um, and I think you know, perspective shifting is, is a really important way that science, frontier fields of science get also uh, more broad public adoption and um, receptivity. Um, and we've seen that throughout history. I'm the founder of a startup as well. We're launching this, um, not quite far, far as far along as you, we're launching late spring. And, you know, of course, influencers and working with them and seeding our product and is a is a big part of our strategy, um, but it's a it's a really tricky thing to do without feeling kind of sleazy and forced. And I'm not going to uh, throw stones at any of the brands who you know everybody has a halo light glowing in their eyeballs and is making these quite intense promises about how it'll change their lives. Um, but rather than throw stones at them, I would say you know I, I'm really interested in what you've pulled off with Seed University. Can you speak to 
you know, how you knew this was something you should do and when you decided this was something you should do and, and actually what Seed University entails? Sure. I mean, this was, you know, Seed University was kind of like our 1.0 of um, how to show up in a opportunistic, question, questionably ethical world of influencer marketing. And really the, the but also how do we, how do we kind of open source that and, and maybe set that standard and, and inspire others and other brands and companies that are doing you know, similar things, are, are engaging on that channel, but um, might be able to do so with a bit more accountability. And so um, Seed University was really born because we created, we launched a channel on Instagram called Seed University. Uh, all of the highlights, all of the courses and mod- course modules take place in the highlights. Um, and then in order to become a partner with us, you have to sign a pledge of accountability, but also pass your final exam with 100% after going through the course. And that was really, as I said, kind of like our answer to creating a, what we call a more hashtag accountable future, um, which is not just relegated to, of course, influencer marketing, but that just happened to be our first expression of it. And do you feel like you've seen results in terms of the content that, you know, the sort of graduates have have shared and posted on behalf of Seed? Oh, absolutely. It's it's become one of our most successful marketing efforts, um, hands down. Cool. Okay. I'm going to, I think I'm going to borrow some, some of that playbook uh, where appropriate. Um, Wonderful. Okay, so I have uh, downstairs, I know it says it, it, it doesn't need to be refrigerated, but um, forgive me, I, I've refrigerated my symbiotic. And it's, you know, very covetable. And as you know, it's beautiful, the design, the materials, the weight of the jar, the capsules themselves. Uh, one of the things I'm interested in is essentially, if something your team thinks about is this sort of tightrope between making something so desirable um, or kind of beautiful looking that it almost feels like a luxury good. If someone didn't necessarily see the price point, right, they might wonder, is this is this approachable enough? Or is that something you, you don't feel is the case at all? I lean more into the notion that good design doesn't, shouldn't, shouldn't be expensive. Um, I think everything is relative, right? Like one of the, I mean, you're coming from the perspective where maybe it's not luxury pricing, but for someone who, um, who, 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 who is struggling with, um, you know, various financial constraints and particularly of course, during the last couple of years where that was only exacerbated, um, seed is very expensive. Um, and then there's people who perceive the way that they prioritize money maybe maybe in a different way. So for example, like when you say, okay, $1.68 a day, um, what, where do I want to prioritize this kind of asp- this, this lever for my health? Um, and what's more important? Is it more important that I'm able to afford organic uh, fruits and vegetables and plants for the week, or is it, um, do I prioritize this? And for a lot of people, that's a very hard, uh, decision or obviously other things like utility, utility bills and internet. Um, and so I think, you know, it really depends on who you're talking to. And I think we try and be pretty empathic to the fact that expensive is a word that's very relative. And so is luxury. Um, and has its own definition. And as I said, over the last couple of years has only, 
evolve that definition based on so many of the hardships and, and hard choices that I think a lot of people have had to make when it comes to where they spend their money. Um, that being said, I think from an aesthetic perspective, I think one of the things not dissimilar to the, the question that you asked earlier, we, we believe that one of the problems with science is also design. Um, and I don't see that very different from the storytelling that you were asking about, which is that I think that there's a um, there's an aspect of design that in science has felt very cold and clinical and not very well uh, humanly thought about, um, particularly when it comes to thinking about how something is designed impacts compliance and getting someone to do something every day. Um, and so I think we think a lot about compliance. We think a lot about the aesthetic of how something fits into your life. Um, we think about the system itself. Like obviously we're in a refill system. So that experience that you described only, only comes once. <laughs> and then after that, you just refill it. Um, we think about sustainability. Um, and so a lot of things kind of go into the way we think about design and aesthetic. Um, and yes, that can feel very luxury, but... Um, you know, I think in a lot of ways, I think we feel that um, health particularly would have a lot more adherence and compliance uh, if if design wasn't always, good design was not always correlated with higher prices. Okay, awesome. So speaking of how kind of covetable and at least how, how much I've sort of enjoyed that first unboxing experience and having your product at home, you know, it's clear you mentioned um you mentioned great design already, right? And you've worked with uh, external creative partners. You've worked with kind of more established partners such as Collins and also, uh, from my understanding, smaller teams. Can you speak to some of your experience of getting the best out of those relationships and, and how you've managed or even sensed when to go with a, a larger, more established partner versus say a smaller, more nimble team? For example, what was it that drove you to to work with Collins? Yeah, that was before we got started. Um, that was when we, I mean, it was really just me, myself and Raja <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and my co-founder. Uh, and that was really us thinking about who, um, we had done a lot of thought, thinking on the identity already um, and had a lot of, um, you know, work that we, we had already kind of put into thinking about the aesthetic and then obviously really wanted a thought partner to really bring a lot of our ideas to life. So, um, honestly, it just came from lots of meetings, um, and really not just meetings, but really thinking about who was going to be on the team. For example, there was a writer on that team that we really, really resonated with and thought she was exceptional. Um, and so there were some areas there that, um, that just resonated, but it really just, it really just depends on, on what project it is. Um, I think we have a pretty well-defined aesthetic and system at this point. And so a lot of the projects that we do are really thinking about how to express that on different channels, um, and, or re-express it on channels like web, for example. Really interesting. You mentioned, you know, a writer being one of the key people you were excited to work with and you know, language is something you, at least from, from the outside, it seems like you guys take extremely, extremely seriously, which, uh, which I, I respect. And I think one, one of the words that sort of popped out at me was your use of uh, ecosystem as opposed to, to a workforce, right, or a kind of company or an organization. Um, 
on that topic, you know, if if you see seed and the kind of humans who work within it or the super organisms within as an ecosystem, what kind of traits are you trying to nurture as one of the co-founders and, and what sort of surprised you about the ecosystem, you know, beyond, say, the traits you wanted to nurture in it that have kind of grown naturally? Well, I think by definition, you can't tend to an ecosystem as much as you can be a symbiotic part of it. <laughs> um, so I, I don't see myself as kind of outside of it, like, you know, with any kind of... Um, like wand, uh, I very see, much see myself as a part of it. And I think a big part of um, that work, at least for myself and my co-founder and a lot of our team is really the cultivation of symbiosis um, and, you know, of, of really like what I think is one of the most important markers of an ecosystem, which is, or is the health of an ecosystem, which is resilience. And I think, you know, resilience, which we, we believe is also a much better definition of health, um, is really how ecologies respond to things like stress, external stressors. Uh, of course, you could say, okay, like COVID <laughs> hitting a, a company like ours, but you know, growth, of course, to your to your point of scale, uh, is another one because um, a lot of things can work at six, twelve, you know, six, twelve, eighteen people, um, but resilience and um, and potency um, is and preservation of like what they call function in an ecosystem uh, is really predicated, um, you know, on, on the belief that in the face of all of these different things that will uh, affect an ecosystem over time, that it can, it can be resilient, right? Like it can return to a place of homeostasis or allostasis, depending on what you're talking about. And so I think that's been really like thinking, just thinking about resilience and how you cultivate resilience is a big part of what we think about uh, especially given how many things have come at it, been thrown at us over the last couple of years, uh, running a startup, particularly one in health and science, which you know has been a, probably the greatest challenge of my career. Okay, so something we've kind of touched on a little bit earlier on was these sort of varying levels of education people have about the microbiome. And you, you've talked about it almost as dark matter. And um, one of the things I sort of feel about it is it's almost... It sort of reminds me a little bit like a religion in terms of someone who's religious will be going through their daily life and their religion will be informing some of the decisions they're making in a way that is sort of invisible to the outsider. Um, I'm not sure how I'm going to turn this into a question, but I, I almost feel like with the microbiome, you see a similar thing where those who are really clued up almost, you can see it impacting. And I feel like I'm heading that direction myself you know, every handful of almonds they consume. Um, do you see it as, as something that has this sort of same level of almost a sort of spiritual or, you know, that the microbiome is almost a belief system for some of your, some of your audience? I mean, I think all science is very spiritual. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think just to start from that place, which is, you know, it's a discipline that, it was set up to specifically create a construct of asking questions to further and understand our our existence <laughs> and and the why of everything. Um, I, if, if that's not spiritual, I don't know what is. Of course, anything that becomes, including religion, um, including real spiritual practice, anything that, of course, becomes industry or commercialized in any way, 
Um, you know, risks, obviously, some of that central potency or grounding potency that started it. And I think that's true of every spiritual practice and religion and um, including science and, and of course, including disciplines like science. But at its core, that that is what like really science is. <laughs> and so in a lot of ways, it, and, and then, of course, when you layer on something like the microbiome, you know, I think it's incredibly spiritual um, if, if you use the definition of spiritual as um, uh, of, of knowing, of going within or of knowing oneself, um, or having a sense of, uh, what's within, um, and certainly the, maybe the connectivity to, to what's without, which is kind of more, um, you know, my definition of spiritual of to become, come closer to self. Um, I think, in that sense, if you think about the fact that we spent a lot of human history thinking about only 50% of ourselves just by cells, let alone uh, just thinking about, of course, not, not even understanding or knowing the way that that exists in nature and the environment and, of course, um, even space. Uh, and so I think in a lot of ways, of, you know, the, the idea that we've kind of re- are revealing this other 50% of ourselves um, is quite extraordinary. Uh, and has incredible implications, not just for understanding, you know, our own bodies and um, pathology, but will change the way we live and is changing the way we live. Um, It will change the choices we make. It will change the way we think about ourselves. It will change the, it it will become that conscious, a a new consciousness, I think, in the way we think about um, our bodies, raising children, having children, (laughs) um, you know, the, the, the dimensions of, of, um, of our health and why we feel something, why we think something, um, that I think, you know, some of the best spiritual practices obviously, uh, cultivate. And so for that reason, I absolutely do. Um, but I also, as I said, also zoom out and think that of most of science, um, despite the fact that I Mm -hmm. think there's a lot of otherization of it, um, and, that, and that has to do more with our systems and constructs uh, than it does have to do with the actual science itself. That was Alfie Friend and Plink co-founder Max Luthi speaking to Ara Katz, the co-founder of Seed Health. A big thank you from myself, Nick and Toby for listening. Thank you also to our producer David Michon, to Sean Crook for editing this episode and to George Grinling for the theme music. To find other episodes, search for Private Views wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more about Alfie, please visit our website, aufi.com. We're also on social media channels using the handle at Ask Us for Ideas. And finally, please do share and rate this episode and subscribe to Private Views so you'll be first to know when new episodes drop. Until next time.